Today, we are going to discover the central truth in the heart of the Apostle John. We're going to find in this climactic moment in the book of Revelation that it's all about Jesus. And if you are faithful to what you learn today, you will never again be content to worship simply a generic God or to assume that just whatever God, whoever he is, that's good enough. For here in the center of the universe, at the fulcrum of the book of Revelation, there is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. So when I tell you, as I often do, that we are Jesus' people, I am speaking a word that John the Apostle certainly would say yes. And I want you to see how Jesus is so the combination of all that you desire, all that you need, and that all your hopes and dreams are wrapped up in Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life for everything that's going on with you. So when we come to John chapter, Revelation chapter 5, we have moved from chapter 4 where it is believe in God, and now in chapter 5 it is believe also in me. Now I am going to ask for your participation in just a minute. And when I ask for you to read, and there are going to be clear indications in red letters about what you are to read, I want you to read this text like we just sang the text. No mumbling. No murmuring under your breath. This is the throne room. This is the worship center. This is all creation singing this song. So I want you to sing it like creation sang it in chapter 5. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Revelation says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I want you all to stand. Everyone in the room, stand with me now. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, Everyone, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in your presence amazed that you would visit us in this room right now. Your living presence. Lord, I pray every word I utter, every thought we think, every response we make to this great scene in heaven, Lord, that it would please you. Amen. Please be seated. I am so conscious as I come to this text that Jesus, the Lord, is listening to me, that he hears the words I speak, and one day I will give an account to him of these words which I utter about this passage so full of his presence and power. These living creatures have been discussed for many centuries. They first appear in Ezekiel in a different form. And they are here depicted as four living creatures. Some say of these four that they correspond to four great constellations in the four quadrants of the heaven that had been identified in the Babylonian and Persian era. And so they cover all the earth. Some say they are the four winds, and some say they are the four corners of the earth. For sure, the lion represents all the wild kingdom. The ox represents the domesticated beasts. The eagle represents all the birds that fly. And the man represents all of us. And so it is intended that all living creatures are represented 
in these four around the throne. They say, Jewish tradition, that when they camped in the wilderness and they put the tabernacle in the middle of the camp, that the lion banner of Judah waved on the east side. That the man banner of Reuben waved on the south side. That the ox banner of Ephraim waved on the west side. And that the eagle banner of Dan waved on the north. And so all the 12 tribes and the people of God gathered around the center, which was the tabernacle, the house of worship, with these banners flying at the four points of the compass. It has been helpful to me to consider how the four living creatures remind me of the four Gospels. Not that they are the four Gospels necessarily, but just that it's a way to remember how the four Gospels emphasize Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of David. His royalty, his messiahship is the flag. In Mark, Jesus is the ox, the servant of all, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke, he is the man, the son of man, who cares for the Samaritan, the Gentile, the leper, the poor. And in John, he is the eagle, the divine son of God, the word made flesh. It might help you to remember the Gospels with these four living creatures. God has something in his hand. He is sitting on the throne and he has something in his right hand. Because it is in the hand of the one who sits on the throne, I know for sure that this scroll, like everything else in all creation, belongs to him. It is his. And I think we are safe to say that in this scroll, written inside and out, are the divine decrees, the judgments and the promises for the human race and all creation, the purpose and counsel of God here in this scroll. It is sealed with seven seals which are the document security code of the ancient world. I know you secure your documents in various ways with passwords and things, and you hope that nobody can hack those passwords. Well, this is the password. This is the security system for documents in the ancient world. And when they had written that testament or that deed, they took the wax and they pressed the ring, the insignia, into that wax. And anybody could tell if that wax had been broken, if the seal had been broken and the scroll had been read, opened, or even changed or violated. Like when you receive a letter in the mailbox and the flap has come undone, you wonder, did somebody do that on purpose? Were they looking to see 
what was in this envelope, and you can tell that it's been opened. So the seal is there to make sure the document is secure. This scroll cannot be hacked. It is locked up in the mind and heart of God. No human being knows the combination. No angel, no matter how mighty and wise, can open this scroll and unlock its secrets. Not one of the millions of angels in that chorus can open this scroll. No living creature, not even the four amazing beings that surround the throne, can open this scroll. It is locked up for all eternity without a password known to human or angel. No one can plumb the mind and heart of God. No one can steal information about the future from Him. No one is worthy to open this book that contains the destiny of humans and of all creation. God has something in His hand. It is the meaning of your life the purpose for you on the planet and the purpose for the world and the whole human race and not an angel or man can open it. God has something in his hand and we have something in our hearts. We need to know we desperately need to know why we are here, where we came from and where we are going. And I read this text about John as he wept and wept and his heart was broken and he was so sorrowful as if he had come undone. And I wondered, why is he so disturbed? Why is he so troubled? Because in his vision, the scroll that represents the very meaning of his life and of the universe is sealed beyond the ability of any man to open it. And though the call has gone out and every being has heard, there is no one found in all of heaven and earth that is worthy to open the scroll. And so he breaks down into a puddle of tears. When I was a boy and I stepped outside my front door, I could see sand and greasewood until it disappeared over the horizon with no houses in between. If I turned to the east, the sand would stretch until it mixed with the purple rock of the Franklin Mountains miles away with nothing in between. And when I laid down on my bed at night, I had this recurring dream over and over and over again. I'd fall asleep and dream that I was lying on the sand. And the desert would grow until it stretched out to the very edges of my mind and of my world. And little bitty me would shrink and shrink until I was a tiny dot in the middle of this vast expanse. And when I looked down to see myself in this great sheet of white, I could see that I was crying out, that my mouth was open wide, and I was straining to cry and somebody to hear, but not a sound 
came out. And all the times I had that dream, I could not utter a sound. I was lost in an ocean of sand. And no one could hear my cry. I think of John exiled on this rock in the Mediterranean Sea. And in this vision, he sees no one can open the scroll. And the sea becomes an endless barrier between him and the purpose of his life. We all need to know why we're here. And it is sealed in the counsel of God. And it is not accessible to you or the smartest man on the planet. Now, John is in the midst of his tears when he hears a voice from the elder. And the elder says, Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is able to open the scroll and break those seals. And it is an announcement that the elder makes because Jesus can do something that no one else can do. He alone is able to open the scroll and to see its contents. That's why John the Apostle is a Jesus person. And it's why you are a Jesus person if you are. Because there's only one who is able to open this scroll. There are those who imagine that they have deciphered the mysteries of the universe and on their own have discovered the meaning of life, but they are fooling themselves. It's only the lion of the tribe of Judah who can open the scroll. The elder who says, do not weep, cannot himself open the scroll. He can't read its contents, but he knows somebody. And you do that often when you have a problem. Say, can you fix this? A friend will ask, and you say, no, I can't do that, but I know somebody. And that's enough, right? If you got people that can fix the problem, that's all you need. Concerning this scroll that represents the decrees and promises and judgments of God, the future of the human race and the meaning of your life, you will never be able to open this. The elder cannot open it. It is enough that he knows somebody who can. And that's enough for you. As long as you insist that you must manufacture your own meaning or discover it yourself, or you're going to build your own religious system, and you're going to do it yourself, you will never unfold the meaning of your life and the future. The Lamb alone is worthy. He's the only one 
that can open this scroll. We know somebody. And that's enough. His name is Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion is ferocious, the king of the beasts. His banner flew on the east side of the tabernacle. He is the root of David, descended from the beloved, a king like David as the prophets <coughs> promised. But when John turns to see this lion of the tribe of Judah who is able to open the scroll, what does he see? He sees not a lion, but a lamb. And there could not be a greater contrast. What has a lion got to do with a lamb except eat it? Lions are predators. Their eyes are in the front of their head. They have long claws and very sharp teeth, and they tear lambs apart. Lambs are meek and mild. They bleat. They have eyes on the side of their head to watch out for predators, and they die all the time. We will raise 100 lambs on our farm this year, and they will all go to the slaughterhouse. That's why they're there. And this lamb, who is a lion, was slain. He's a lamb standing as if slain. Later on, John will say that he was slain from the foundation of the earth. He was introduced to his disciples and to the world of his day with John's word, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was discussed in the epistles as the Passover lamb. And in fact, when he died at Calvary on the cross, they were killing the Passover lambs. Jesus was born with the angelic host singing when the Passover lambs were being born in the fields of Bethlehem. And he died when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed at the time of the feast. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain. And there runs through this chapter the theme that the meaning of your life is tied up in this lamb who was slain. And that not only do you long for a reason to be in the world, but you long for somebody to clean up the you that you know. And Jesus is the one who is sacrificed on your behalf for your sin. See, he's the only one you may think, well, there are others, good religious leaders, folks. No, Jesus died for the sins of the world. One, lamb. Behold the lamb who takes away not only the sins of the world, but your sin. What you need more than anything else in this life is the lamb who is worthy 
to open the scroll, to forgive you of your sin, and to unfold the meaning and purpose of your life, to show you the future of the kingdom of God so you will understand your present and your past. There is this scene in this chapter that we've been singing about which is so magnificent. Because all creation has something new to sing. There were those who labored without ever knowing that the Lamb had provided for them and the real meaning and purpose of their life. And now the Lamb has come and He has unfolded it all. And the song breaks out in heaven. The millions of angels begin to sing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and power and might. And the elders present before the throne these bowls of incense in the middle of worship, which are the prayers of the saints. (laughs) This is such a beautiful picture of the power of your prayers. Because the Lamb of God has made access for you in the throne room, Your prayers are presented before the eternal God in the center of this universe. Not one single prayer that you have uttered in faith has been forgotten. It is there in the bowl. As you have cried out to God in the sorrow of your heart, in the moment of your need, God preserves that whispered prayer that comes from your heart. As you go about your day and you talk to Him, God collects those prayers. And as you utter your prayer, the Lamb of God has made access for your prayer to come into the very throne room of God. So the prayers you pray today in this house of worship are presented in the throne room. Now think about the amazing power there is in prayer. Maybe you have neglected prayer. Maybe you have thought, well, prayer doesn't seem to change things for my life, but I want you to know that your prayers have access to God in a way that is absolutely amazing. Think of the power of your prayer uttered as you go about your day when you talk to God and it is taken right into the throne the prayers of God's people. And the song breaks out. People singing from every nation, tribe, and tongue. What does heaven look like? Heaven looks like people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. (laughs) Whoever dreamed that? I thought religions were for specific people, you know? Christianity is the white man's religion. Islam is the black man's religion. Somebody else has got a religion for them. This tribe has their God, and this tribe has their God. Whoever dreamed that there'd be somebody who would melt all these boundaries and barriers between groups of people on this planet and make them one in a chorus of worship. Who dreamed that? It was Jesus who laid down his life for us. He himself is our peace who has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, Samaritan and Greek and whatever else ethnicity or nationality or cultural identity there is on planet earth. And there in the throne room, everybody is represented. 
It's glorious. And when I read this, I say, Lord, do something in my heart so the boundaries melt away, so my prejudices disappear, so I stop thinking in pride as if my group, myself, my family, my tribe, my tongue, we got it right. All of humanity ought to be like me. This ethnic and racial strife is tearing the world apart. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is declaring we are one in the Lamb who was slain. Church, we got to live this. This is not something that's incidental to the gospel. This is not something that's accidental to the gospel. As, you, as if you can be a faithful follower of Jesus and just go on your way in your little homogeneous group and live out your life as if there was nobody else on the planet. If you do that, you deny the Christ who gave his life for you at Calvary. It is on purpose that Jesus said the Samaritan was the fellow who stopped at the side of the road for the man that was wounded. It was the Samaritan who came back and gave thanks for being healed as a leper. It was a widow from Cyrene who got her son raised. What are you doing, Jesus? You're preparing your church for the moment when you say to them, not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. I want you at the table of the Lord together. I want you to sit elbow to elbow, face to face, at the table with the multicolored variety of the tribes and nations of the world. And if you self-select, you're saying that table's yours and it's not yours. It's the table of the Lord, and he has thrown the invitation open to every tribe and nation and tongue on this planet. And we deny the Lord who bought us if we close the, the door to any brother or sister saved by grace who wants to sit at that table. Amen. Now look, I'm not talking about something accidental to the gospel. It is central to the gospel that people in this world and in this city understand that Jesus has melted down the boundaries between people. And there is a kind of love that can flow between folks from different tribes, nations, tongues, and languages. And they can love each other in amazing ways because Jesus is their unity and Jesus is their peace. Somehow we got to live this out. We've got to do this, and it is hard work. It is daily work. It is you laying down your life for the sake of the Christ who bought you. It is you going back to say, all power is yours, Jesus. What do you want me to do in this situation? It belongs to you. All glory, honor, power is yours. I'm giving my power to you. Now you make your call, Jesus, and I'll follow you whatever you want to do. What do you want to do, Jesus, in this situation? If you say you live in him, you must walk as he walked. I want to tell our city this. I want the city to see us. This in our heart, in our soul, in the very bones of our fellowship and our life together. That we love each other. And Christ has made us one in him. And when I make a step toward this kind of lifestyle, 
I am closer to heaven than I've ever been. I get closer to heaven when I start living this life where the barriers come down and we love each other without the prejudice of the past. I am more like Jesus. I am modeling the heavenly community as the nations, tribes, and tongues come together in my life and in my church and in my community and in my world. God's going to do this one day because it pleases Him and it's the right thing to do. He will bring us all together under the banner of His grace and together we will sing the song that honors Him Suddenly, John hears the universe bursting into song. Now it's not just myriads of angels as it was above Bethlehem on the day that Jesus was born. Now all creation joins in. Every bird in the sky, every fish in the sea, every creature that walks or crawls on every rock or plain, every soaring eagle, roaring lion, strong ox, an amazing human being opens his mouth and begins to sing. John hears an ocean of created beings from the four corners of the earth, from the four winds, from the below, above, and on the earth, and they are raising a thunderous chorus of praise to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who was slain. That's why I'm a Jesus person. When I put him in the middle of my mind, the middle of my heart, the middle of my decisions, when I gave him all power, honor, and glory in my life, I am participating in the future community that gathers in the throne room. And I love being there. Some people say you can have a little bit of heaven here. This is how you get there. You give it all to Jesus. And if you inherit it, a life from your forefathers that does not line up with his vision. Abandon that former way of life that was handed down to you. Peter called it an empty way of life that he got from his forefathers. And take up this life that Jesus commends and creates for all who love him. This is the life that you are made for that you were created for, and that awaits for you in the counsel and presence of God. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come before you confessing That so often our own life, our church, our community, our world doesn't model this wonderful course that you sent your son to die for and create. Lord, we confess how frail we are, how captured by old ways of thinking and doing and not transformed in mind and heart by the presence and love and power of Christ in our own lives to change the way we talk and live. And so, God, we pray 
Oh, God, do your work in us. Set us free from the shackles that prevent us being who you made us to be. Show us, Lord, how to move from our present reality to the reality where you are the center and Lord of life.